Between 2005 and 2009, the bodies of eight women are found in Jefferson Davis Parish, Louisiana, near the town of Jennings. Most all of the victims knew each other and traveled in the same circles. Tales of drugs, prostitution, police corruption, and the seedy underworld of Jennings plagued the investigation. These murders remain unsolved to this day. You're listening to the Mysterious Brews podcast, and tonight we bring you part three of the Jennings Eight Revisited. You sleep with peace of mind, you don't hurry. I'm wide awake and know it's gonna hurt me. This you could do is show a little mercy now. So if you're gonna leave, Set the bed on fire, set the bed on fire. If you're gonna leave, leave me. Don't say goodbye. Just set the bed on fire, baby. Set the bed on fire and let it burn, let it burn, let it burn all the way to the ground. Let it burn. Welcome to a deep, dark. Dank, moist basement somewhere in the bowels of Georgia. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, and we are going to wrap up part three of the Jennings 8 Revisited. For those of our new listeners, this was episode two when we first started four years ago. And the audio was so bad that we had to trash it because we were losing listeners because everybody liked episode one and then episode two was such crap that they just wouldn't continue to listen. We appreciate all of our OGs that stuck with us through our growing pains and the bad audio and the left and the right and then this and the that. And we can't say enough thank yous and deep heartfelt love for all of you. So if you have not, like Coach always says, Go join the Mysterious Brews fan page on Facebook. There we get to talk about the crazy cases, share memes and funny stories, and make fun of each other. Let's jump into this and wrap up part three. So when we left out of part two, I had told everyone that the Big Ten Full Hat Conspiracy was coming in part three, and we did not cover it in the original episode. So just to refresh everybody's memory, we are looking at Loretta Chason Lewis, 28, who passed away in May of 2005, followed by Ernestine Patterson, 30, who passed away in June of 2005. Then we have Miss Kristen Gary Lopez, 21, passed away in March of 2007. Whitney Dubois, 26, passed away in May of 2007. Laconia Muggy Brown, 23, May of 2008. Crystal Shea Benoit Zeno, 24, September of 2008. Brittany Gary, 17, November of 2008. And Nicole Guillory, 26, August 2009. Those are the eight murdered victims of the Jennings Eight. And while we have been wrapped up in tales of drugs and conspiracy and 
prostitution and things like that, we don't need to lose sight of the fact that eight women lost their lives prematurely. And there's somebody or somebody's out there responsible. So we want to make sure that we pay our due respects to the women of the Jennings Eight and the women out there still in South Jennings trying to scratch out a living. So it's called the Big G Conspiracy Theory. And there was an LLC that had ties to political players frequenting the Boudreaux Inn to partake in crack and sex parties with just about all of the Jennings Eight at one time or another. Perhaps more than anything else in Ethan Brown's book, he believes the victims are unified by their ties to a place called the Boudreaux Inn. And we've kind of touched on the Boudreaux Inn a couple of times in part one and part two. Now, Mr. Brown describes the inn as a nexus or the center hub of the sex and drugs scene that catered to just about anybody, whether you were members of law enforcement, judges, politicians, whoever. That's where you would get your vices. So he describes it as, well, he doesn't. There's a former deputy that he interviews later in the book that basically comes out and says it was a whorehouse, plain and simple. So without, you know, beating a dead horse, that's pretty much how that Boudreaux Inn was run. And the rumor is, and this is all allegedly, can't prove any of this, but this is all allegedly. Basically, Ian was run by a field representative of Congressman Charles Bustani named Martin P. Guillory, or Big G. Through a spokesperson, Bustani has denied all allegations made by three sources that Brown details in his book that Mr. Bustani was a former client of some of the Jennings Eight. And Big G, Martin Guillory, also told the author, Mr. Brown, he did not know any prostitution that occurred at the end. Brown also writes flatly that, quote, there is no evidence that either Congressman, Bustani, or Big G, Martin P. Guillory, had any involvement with the murders of the Jeff Davis 8, end quote. And I want to echo that. This is a theory that is alleged by certain people, corroborated with stories from task force witnesses, And their side of the story can be challenged. So, like we always say, do your own research, make your own opinions. But this is what we had come across. So, with that said, here's what we do know that is factual, so you can draw your own conclusions. The Boudreaux Inn was leased by TriTech LLC. Now, TriTech LLC was owned by Martin P. Guillory, who went by Big G. And he also ran a company called Big G's Cans out of Rain, Louisiana. Now, this is the same Martin Guillory that I just described that is also a field representative for Congressman Bustani. Mr. Guillory has a phone number registered to him in Bustani's office in Washington, D.C., and he makes public appearances on behalf of Congressman Bustani. Now, Bustani is related to Edwin Evers, former governor of Louisiana, His father was the coroner of Lafayette Parish. 
and he's also related to Vicki Kennedy, the wife of late Senator Edward Kennedy. He was at one time the chair of the Tax Policy Subcommittee and the Ways and Means Committee in the House of Representatives. Now, a former sex worker who knew all of the Jennings 8 victims contacted Ethan Brown and went on to explain how Bustani was a well-regarded, quote, client of Tracy Chasson, Muggy Brown, Loretta Chasson, and Kristen Gary Lopez. This informant goes on to explain that Congressman Bustani always had the money, always had the drugs. So in the spring of 2015, a friend of Kristen Gary Lopez's contacts Ethan Brown to see if he had found any new leads or if there had been any breaks in the case. During their conversation, she tells him that Kristen's clientele was made up of, quote, judges, lawyers, and cops. Now, this woman who still lives in Jennings allegedly explained how Kristen and Loretta admitted that Bustani was a client. Kristen specifically characterized Bustani as a very important client who she frequented the Boudreaux Inn to rendezvous with and told a friend Bustani worked in government and high places. Kristen was worried about her relationship with Bustani, stating to this friend that Kristen was worried if she ever made him mad because, quote, all he have to say is one thing and I would be taken care of, end quote. And that's not taken care of in a good sense. Now, another witness that is referenced in Mr. Brown's book as Bustani Witness A was interviewed by the task force extensively over several days in October of 2012. This witness kept great records of the days and the times that she was questioned. Now, according to Bustani Witness A, she was interrogated by the quote, upper echelon of the task force, which included, at the time, Jefferson Davis Sheriff's Commander Christopher Ivey and Edward W. Reed, Senior FBI Agent at the Lake Charles FBI Office. Mr. Brown would ask Agent Reed if he had ever questioned this witness in August of 2015. Agent Reed would state to Mr. Brown that since this is an ongoing investigation, he could neither confirm nor deny if he was present at an interview. So in March of 2015, Mr. Brown would travel to Jennings to dig into the property records of the Boudreaux Inn. The property record indicated that the property was owned by Justin Boudreaux, who died in 2006 at the age of 77. Now, Boudreaux would lease the space from November of 1999 through November of 2004, working under the LLC named Tritech. The lease term stated the rent on the property was $4,000 a month. Tritech's business filings with the state of Louisiana stated the principals of the LLC were Martin P. Guillory and Toby Leger. This lease places both of those men dead center managing the Boudreaux Inn during the height of the drug and sex scene in Jennings while the murders occurred and beyond the last murder of the Jennings 8. Now, according to a lawsuit filed against Tritech by the estate of the Boudreaux estate, <laughs> if you can figure that one out, Tritech continued to occupy the premises 
on a month-to-month basis after the five-year lease was up. And we'll get to that later. Now, Toby Leger in 2006 ran for alderman of Ward 5 in Church Point, Louisiana. This is just 36 miles north of Jennings and where Tritech is registered with the state. He served as a member of the Jefferson Davis Business Alliance and the Calcasieu Parish Police Jury. That may not seem like a notable role, but members of the police jury have a lot of power inside the parish that they serve on. So he carried a lot of political law enforcement, I guess, weight in the parish. From the late 1990s to the end of 2004, the same period that Tritec was leasing the Boudreaux Inn, Frankie Richard and several of the slain women of the Jennings 8 were involved in police incidences at the Boudreaux Inn. Now, these are just a sampling of more than 1,100 incident reports that Mr. Brown would receive. October the 12th, 1998, Loretta Chason and Norma Dubrock rent a room at the Boudreaux Inn. Loretta's husband finds out she's renting a room and comes looking for her and allegedly beats her and flees the scene. December 22nd, 1999, a man filed a complaint with the sheriff's office that he brought Loretta and another sex worker to the Boudreaux Inn for a threesome, but when he woke up the next morning, the women were gone, and so was his money in his wallet. That's terrible. Like you didn't see that one coming, son. December 19th, 2000, the Boudreaux Inn management found Loretta in room 206. Management calls the sheriff's office because Loretta had previously been told that she was not to set foot on the property. Officer Terry Guillory arrests Loretta for trespassing. But, like we had documented earlier with Officer Guillory, of no relationship to Big G. Martin P. Guillory, since the jail was full at the time, he just let Loretta go on about her business and told her to stay out of the property. Now, Guillory is a very common name in southwest Louisiana, so you may be thinking they're all connected by some crazy family tree, but it's not. It's very, very common down there. The next incident is January 10th, 2000. Loretta and another woman get into a fight at the end, and from the description of this fight, they are going at it, and no one can break them up, and so when... Management can't get it broke up. They were like, hell with it. We'll just call 911. So the sheriff's office rolls out there again. And once again, Loretta is told not to return to the Boudreaux Inn. Guess who comes out this time? Yep. Mr. Warden Terry Guillory at this point of his career. And he states in his report that Loretta was, quote, extremely intoxicated, end quote. May 11th, 2000, Toby Leger calls the sheriff's office after he witnesses Loretta getting into a pickup truck that was parked by one of the rooms. Surprise, motherfucker. Leger tells the officer that arrives that he wants to press trespassing charges on Miss Chason because she has been told multiple times to quit frequenting the property. February 7th, 2002, a fight between Frankie Richard and Andrew Newman father of Kristen Gary Lopez, breaks out. And it is a lot worse, 
I don't guess it would be worse, but it's not as bad as it first seems because Frankie is either, let me state this, Frankie is allegedly either drunk or high or a combination. And him and his ex-wife Jill get into an argument. He puts Jill in a headlock. Newman sees this going down at the bar. Newman steps in to try to get Frankie to let go of Jill. Frankie turns around, pops him in the nose, and breaks his nose. The management did not press any charges in the whole incident and allowed the recharge to continue to stay in room 206. Just let that one simmer on you a little bit. March 11th, 2002. Jill Richard reports that Frankie threatened to burn her trailer down with whoever was in it. Jill would allege that Frankie told residents of the trailer park that she was staying at that he was going to kill her. So Jill, being a fine Southwest Louisiana woman, confronts Frankie at the Boudreaux Inn, where he tells her that he's going to burn her down while she was sleeping in the trailer. Jill calls the sheriff's office, and she takes out a restraining order on Frankie. Fast forward to April the 2nd, same year, 2002. Jill calls the sheriff's office and tells them that Frankie has violated said restraining order by allegedly pulling into the Boudreaux Inn's parking lot knowing she was staying there. August 15, 2004, Loretta herself calls the sheriff's office from the Boudreaux Inn, the same place she's not supposed to step foot in. You're killing me, Smalls. And when the deputy arrives, she tells the deputy that her husband, Murphy Lewis, quote, got mad and put me in a headlock and beat me about my head, end quote. The deputy notes in his report that there were knots on her head and she did suffer a busted lip. Murphy Lewis is later found in Jennings that evening where he confesses to, quote, striking Loretta. December 31st, 2004. Muggy Brown rents a room, room 105, and... There's multiple stories about this, but basically within an hour of her renting the room, she is seen by other guests pulling an exterior fire alarm and fleeing the scene to her grandmother's house in South Jennings. According to a report by Deputy Mike Janice, the same deputy that discovers Muggy's body in 2008, just four years later, Janice finds Muggy at her grandmother's house, and Muggy admits, yep, I pulled the alarm. End of story. I couldn't find anything else about why she pulled the alarm. Was she high and thought it was a funny prank? Nothing. It just says she pulled the alarm. The next one is April 8, 2006. Detectives respond to a call at the Boudreaux Inn about a stabbing in room 204. Whitney Dubois and Bootsy Lewis were staying in room 204, and when questioned, old Bootsy says that he had gotten into a fight with another man, and a woman with that other man stabbed Whitney in the head with a screwdriver. Whitney was transported to the Jennings Hospital, where she was treated for a head wound that was approximately two inches long and a quarter inch deep. Now, I'm going like just let you go get your tape measure, so pause it. Go get your tape measure. Pull that sucker out. Measures you a two-inch line. And think about it being a quarter-inch deep. And somebody taking a screwdriver to your head and putting that on top of your head. 
Holy shit, what the hell is going on in the Boudreaux Inn? Now, according to what I could find, according to Ethan Brown's book, there are no reports stating whether anyone was ever questioned about the incident or ever arrested for the stabbing. So it's just one a blip on the radar of shit that went down in Jennings back in 2006. Now, like I had said, this is just a small snapshot at, of how the Jennings 8 and the Boudreaux Inn were intertwined. This also shows that there is no way in hell that the management of the inn paying $4,000 a month in rent would not have known who these women were. Now remember, Leger chases Loretta off the property on May 11th, 2000. Despite this, she continues to frequent the Boudreaux Inn for sex work and downtime until she is murdered in 2005. And like I said earlier in the opening, an unnamed deputy told Mr. Brown that the Boudreaux Inn was a whorehouse, plain and simple. That's all it is. So in Mr. Brown's book, he tracks down the manager of the Boudreaux Inn from 2000 to 2008, and that is a Mrs. Suzette East. And she would tell him that Kristen Muggy and Frankie Richard were all frequent patrons of the inn. She goes on to tell him that Loretta was a pain in her rear from the time she began working at the Boudreaux Inn until Loretta's murder. Kristen would always come to the inn's restaurant to eat and never gave her any trouble. She didn't know anything other than the sweet little lady that would eat at the restaurant. She said her and Muggy had a couple of instances and that Muggy had caused a panic the night she pulled the fire alarm. East would make a point to state that since she managed during the daytime, she never saw many of the women of the Jennings Eight that would patronize the inn during evening hours, allegedly. When Mr. Brown asked Miss East who she reported to directly, she tells him that her direct bosses were Toby Leger and Big G, Martin P. Guillory. The same two that are the principals of Tritech LLC. She goes on to tell how Big G was connected to Bustani and that she had met Congressman Bustani during a campaign rally held at the Boudreaux Inn when Bustani was running for Congress in 2003 and 2004. And he was running for the congressional seat of the 7th District of Louisiana. She stated that he was not there long because it was a campaign trail stop, but he was there long enough to give a speech, filled a couple of questions, and then hurriedly left. She made a point to say that that was the only time that she knew of Congressman Bustani coming to the Boudreaux Inn. Getting back to Bustani, he became the first congressman from southwest Louisiana since 1884 to be a Republican and win that seat. He would also go on to deliver the Republican rebuttal of President Obama's State of the Union address in 2009 on Obamacare. 
Now, Miss East would also recall to Brown that every week Toby would come and do payroll on Thursdays. Now, the Boudreaux Inn also had poker machines, I guess in the restaurant or the bar. It didn't really say where. And that if anyone won a large payout, both Big G and Leger would have to come in. So they were there together most weeks, East would add. Now, like I previously stated, the Boudreaux Inn would ultimately close in 2008 after a long legal battle between the heirs of Justin Boudreaux's estate and Tritech LLC. Jacqueline Granger, one of Boudreaux's heirs, served Leger and Big G with an eviction notice, but the dynamic duo of Tritech claimed that they had exercised an option in the original contract to extend the original five-year lease and that that extended term had not yet expired. This goes all the way to the Louisiana Supreme Court. And unfortunately for the dynamic duo of Tritech, the Louisiana Supreme Court ruled in the favor of Jacqueline Granger in April of 2008. And that is what finally shut down the Boudreaux Inn. Kristen Gary Lopez's father, Andrew Newman, told Ethan Brown that he saw Big G there constantly and referred to him by his nickname, Big G, all the time. Quote, Big G was there on a weekly basis, I would say, maybe two, three times a week, end quote. Big G stated to Newman that he was very concerned when the eighth victim, Nicole Guillory, was found in Acadia Parish. And Acadia Parish just happens to be the parish in which Big G resides. Hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. Now, Frankie Richard also said that he had drinks at the bar with Big G all the time. Now, Frankie is known to make sure that he tells tales that always deflect the spotlight of criminal behavior away from him and on to other people. So keep that in mind. Now, all of this establishes that not only was Big G at the Boudreaux Inn, but also on one occasion, Big G was packing some heat. In the summer of 2015, Ethan Brown had received a response to a request he made under the Louisiana Public Records Act for, quote, any and all incident reports related to the Boudreaux Inn from the late 1990s through 2010. That summer, he gets 1,100 pages. One of the incident reports dated July 22, 2003, stated that the sheriff's office was called to the Boudreaux Inn because, quote, Martin Guillory pointing gun, end quote. The name of the complainant had been redacted and had stated that Big G pulled a black pistol on him. Big G's handgun was confiscated and logged into evidence at the sheriff's office. And he was issued a citation for aggravated assault. In another incident report dated December the 27th, 2001, a caller to the sheriff's office complained of a, quote, crack party going on at the Boudreaux Inn. I wonder what kind of, how do you know it's a crack party? I mean, could it just be a regular cocaine party? I mean, what makes it a crack party? Did, were you in there and you got pissed off because there wasn't enough crack to go around? Was there too much crack? I mean, how do you know it was just a crack party? There could have been some weed in there. I mean, come on. Can't just be a crack party. That'd be more specific than that when you call the cops. Anyway, so May 9th, 2016, 
author Ethan Brown emails Bustani's office asking if he was aware of Martin P. Guillory's involvement at the Boudreaux Inn, if Bustani had prior knowledge of the criminal activity going on at the inn, as well as if he had ever visited the inn in any capacity, or if he had engaged in sexual relationship with any of the women of the Jennings Eight. On May 16th of 2016, Mr. Brown receives a reply from Bustani's communication director, Jack Pandel. Quote, Dr. Bustani had no prior knowledge of Mr. Guillory's business dealings and has not had any contact with any of the eight victims you mentioned. Obviously, this is a case that is a tragedy, and Dr. Bustani is saddened that something like this could happen in southwest Louisiana. End quote. Brown would follow up with another email asking for the answer to, quote, has Bustani ever visited the Boudreaux Inn in any capacity, and if so, when? And Pandel would reply, quote, to my knowledge, Dr. Bustani has never visited that establishment, end quote. On May 10th of 2016, Arthur Brown would speak to the one and only Big G about what was going on at the Boudreaux Inn. When Mr. Brown asked Big G if he was aware of the criminal activity happening at the inn and if he was familiar with any of the Jennings 8 victims, he said, no, sir, I was not aware of any such. But I had met one or two of them girls, but I can't recall quite well which ones specifically. He went on to insist that he did not know any of the other girls and had only met Frankie Richard on, quote, one occasion. When Mr. Brown presses him further, Big G would say that Frankie mostly stayed in Lafayette where he told Big G he owned a business. So obviously we're dodging questions and Mr. Brown's not having any of it. So he goes in for the jugular and he presses Big G to recall if Congressman Bustani had ever visited the Boudreaux Inn in any capacity. He said that he could not remember, but the congressman may have. And he just could not recall it. So Brown follows that up with, what about this aggravated assault charge that I see on this incident report? He says that he was never arrested or cited, and he was only asked to stop by the sheriff's office to give a statement on the incident. He then goes on to try to downplay his role in owning the inn, but then immediately contradicts himself by saying that he had to be there once, at least once a week for payroll and poker machine payouts. Brown goes further and asked Big G if the congressman had ever had any relations with any of the women of the Jennings 8. Big G finally flips the switch and angrily responds with, quote, why would he associate with any of the women at the Boudreaux Inn, end quote. He told Brown to never call back and warned Mr. Brown that if he published his book, quote, we will file suit against you if you publish any of these allegations, end quote, and angrily hung up the phone. On August the 3rd of 2015, Ethan Brown sent FBI agent Reed his findings tying Bustani, Big G, Martin P. Guillory, Tritech, and the Boudreaux Inn together per Agent Reed's request. Now, let it be known that I am saying, just as Ethan Brown stated in his book, that there is no evidence that either Congressman Bustani or Big G had any involvement with the murders of the Jennings 8. 
I will go even further and say that Toby Leger doesn't have any evidence pointing as the murderer. Now, while several witnesses have told the task force and Mr. Brown that Bustani enjoyed the services of two of the women of the Jennings Eight, he has denied through his office any involvement with the case. Like I stated earlier, his accusers can be challenged, so let that be known. All of what I went over does not tie Big G, Congressman Bustani, Toby Leger to being the murderer or murderers of the Jennings Eight. What I did do is I set you out some facts about what was occurring during the height of the drug and sex scene there. The clear evidence of Martin P. Guillory or Big G's involvement with the Boudreaux Inn and the allegations concerning Congressman Bustani do provide you with a picture of how intertwined the people in power at the time were tied to the powerless or seemingly powerless women of the Jennings Eight. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the Big G conspiracy theory. So for my personal theory, two of the women were stabbed to death. Ernestine Patterson's throat was slit. Laconia Brown was stabbed numerous times. The other six were asphyxiated. You have two very definitive stabbings and then six likely asphyxia cases. But the disposal means were entirely similar throughout the entire eight murders. They were all dumped in either crawfish ponds or canals or they were dumped on the side of the road like common trash. And that's not what those women deserve. Ethan Brown would state that he, quote, I believe the real killer is still out there. And I'll say particularly when it comes to the Ernestine Patterson case, I believe they had the right people in that case when they made the arrest. I was able to obtain the district attorney file on that case, and I believe they had the right people. The killers are still out there. I think it's law enforcement incompetence, and I think the women were deeply connected to very powerful people in law enforcement. And when you look at the women too closely, when you start scrutinizing these specific cases, you immediately see those connections. And I think it's misconduct. It's a combination of incompetence, misconduct, and the very, very close connection these women had to law enforcement, end quote. I personally think that Warden Guillory played a huge role in it, while Frankie Richard denies any involvement in any of the murders. I believe he was involved in at least possibly two. And by the very least, he knows exactly who killed those women. And he has either been paid off or he holds a blackmail card greater than someone trying to get him suicided. Maybe a fail switch in case he dies in mysterious circumstances. Like I said, in all the other parts, it is real easy to get sucked down this rabbit hole. There is a dedicated Facebook page where theories are discussed. People who have lived on the South Side are members of that Facebook page. 
They can give you an eye-opening experience of what the day-to-day life is about. There are videos on YouTube, surveillance videos from the private investigator that was hired, showing one of the victims leaving one of the deserted houses the day before she's killed. There was the Investigation Discovery miniseries. Then a couple years later, Showtime comes out with their own miniseries on the Jeff Davis 8 or Jennings 8. So if you are interested, by all means, I suggest if you are not one that likes to read, you can either download the Audible version of Ethan Brown's book or I would recommend binge watching the Investigative Discovery or Discovery ID, whatever it's called now, miniseries first and then follow that up with the Showtime miniseries. Unfortunately, like I've said in the opening of every one of these parts, these eight women's cases are still open. Their killer is still out there. Their families are still looking for justice. By some happenstance, if you know anything about this case or one of the cases, please contact the FBI. Bypass Louisiana altogether. Tell someone. And that, ladies and gentlemen, concludes our three episodes on the case of the Jennings 8 or the Jeff Davis 8. When we release this episode, it will be the Tuesday before Labor Day. Coach will be back. We have some episodes in the tank, so you get Coach's soothing, sexy voice back next week. We've got some more user requests. Please keep those coming. While some of them are probably going to be micro-brews because there's just not enough information out there, we do have some very good cases out there. Uh, We have been asked to give our version of the Amy Mahalovic case, so that will be coming down the pipeline. So I'm not giving out any recommendations other than if you've never given us a five-star review on Apple iTunes, head over there and give us a five-star review. If you're still not a patron, go get over there on patreon.com backslash mysterious brews and sign up. We have $1, $3, $10, and $20 tiers. We have a prize for everybody. $3 tiers are our sticker tiers. So if you're a $3 member, you will be getting a decal in the mail. $10 tiers have special $10 tier only episodes. We have Patreon only episodes out there. So what you waiting on? That's less than one good meal at McDonald's for a whole year you can support us. But seriously, thank you all for listening. Thank you for all the kind words. Thank you for the case suggestions. Deuces. <laughs>